0: You're listening to Theology for the Rest of Us. You've got tough questions. We'll try to give you easy answers. Now, here's your host, Kenny Ortiz. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back. I'm Kenny Ortiz. This is Theology for the Rest of Us coming at you from the beautiful metropolis of Minneapolis, Minnesota. Thank you so much for downloading, thanks for listening, thank you for being a part of the loyal listener base of this podcast, Uh, thank you for allowing me to have a voice in your life. I am so, so grateful uh, for all of you. This is episode 253, and in this episode, I'm going to be continuing a series that I've been doing on a variety of topics and subtopics related to creation, evolution, Origins of species, origins of the universe, uh, and things of that nature. In the most previous episode, in episode 252, uh, I really tackled the different approaches or the different perspectives on how we ought to interpret and approach Genesis chapter 1. This episode is going to be part 2. To that episode, so I'm going to continue the the, the mini series I've been doing over the last several episodes. But this episode will specifically be a part two to the most previous episode, uh, understanding Genesis chapter one. And in this episode, I'm going to do something unique that I haven't ever done on the podcast before. I'm going to I'm going to use a kind of a, a really unique method. I'm going to use a contemporary personality to try to to try to explain the two different approaches that I talked about in the previous episode. Uh, As you may have already seen in the headline, this episode is Understanding Genesis Chapter 1, Part 2, and the subtitle to this episode is A Parable of Steve Jobs. And I'm going to use a man by the name of Steve Jobs. Many of you are probably very familiar. He is a very well-known personality. He has now passed on. He passed away uh, several years ago. But he is well known as one of the founders of a company called Apple, the, the innovators and inventors of, of uh, the iPhone, the iPad, uh, the iPod. And way before that, they were the developers of a very unique and new style of personal computing. Uh, in the late 70s, they really did a lot of incredible things. And that, that success continued on, obviously, for, for multiple decades and continues to succeed in a lot of ways. Uh, Steve Jobs is a very interesting character and interesting personality. So I'm going to use I'm going to use his life story, and I'm going to I'm going to tell his life story in two different ways to illustrate the two different perspectives of Genesis chapter one. So I apologize in advance if anyone thinks this is a little bit odd or weird. Uh, I especially apologize if anyone thinks I'm being flippant or disrespectful, or or even worse than that, if you think I'm being blasphemous in the way I'm using his narrative to try to illustrate Genesis 1. I, I'm not trying to be inappropriate or flippant. I, I promise you I'm very sober-minded and reverent when I come to these particular topics. Um, I was just trying to sitting around and trying to think of how do I explain these two perspectives better? Because I feel like I, I unpacked them in Genesis, or excuse me, I, I, I unpacked the two perspectives approaching Genesis chapter 1 in the previous episode. But I don't know if it makes full sense because... I I, not because I think people don't understand it, because I I don't think that I'm illustrating it well. So I sat and I really prayerfully considered how could I illustrate this better. And I talked to a few of my friends and had a conversation with my girlfriend about it as well, and just try to try to kind of come up with this idea. And and I came up with this with this perspective on the life of Steve Jobs. And so I'm going to I'm going to use his narrative and his life and his personality to to sort of explain the two approaches. Um, that was a very long preamble intro, right? I apologize for that, but just wanted to kind of get it all th- out there and make sure you understood where I was headed in this episode. hey, um, before I get to actually doing that, I want to just take a brief moment out and remind everyone of the importance of ratings and reviews. They are really, really, really important. They dramatically impact how far up the search rankings this podcast will appear. So whenever people search things like Christianity, theology, Bible, Jesus, The more positive ratings I have uh, on the podcast, the more people will find the podcast, and therefore, the more people can be impacted in a positive way, or I believe would be a positive way. So if this podcast has been helpful to you in any way whatsoever, this has been a blessing to you in any way whatsoever, can you please do me a huge, huge, huge favor? Head on over to whatever podcast player you're familiar with, whatever directory, especially if you're listening to this on the Apple Podcast Player on your iPhone or iTunes on your, on your desktop, please head on over, leave a five-star rating, leave a review, tell the world how great the podcast is. That would be a big, big help to the show. I know that there are literally thousands of people that listen to this, uh, and there's about 132 ratings as of today on, in April of 2018. So if you could head on over and do that, if you haven't done it, that would be so helpful. Thank you in advance. Okay, let's get to my weird and crazy way of approaching uh, an explanation of the two views. If you have not listened to episode 252, pause this episode right now and go back and listen to it. This episode is not going to make sense if you don't go back and listen to 252. So please go back and do that as soon as you can. Now, I'm assuming if you're still listening to this, you've already listened to 252. And you already know, as I talked about that in an episode, that when we are approaching Genesis chapter 1, there are, in essence, two primary ways that we can approach it. There are a variety of sub, kind of sub-ideas, uh, and there are other ancillary ways to approach Genesis 1. But every single perspective kind of falls into one of two categories, the concordous view or the non concordist view. The concordous view takes the, the idea that Genesis 1 is, is the narrative or the sequence of events of how God created everything? The non-concordist view is, it's not God is not telling a story of what He did and when He did it. God is simply telling a story to show His supremacy over the created things. The concordist view says God gives us Genesis chapter one to tell us the the, the sequence of events, the history of what he did, how he did it, and in what order he did it. The non-concordist view says Genesis 1 is not a, a sequence of events. It is not the history of what God did, how he did it, and in what order he did it. Genesis chapter 1 is given to us by God to prove to us that God is bigger and better and more awesome than anything that's been created because he himself is indeed the creator. Now, the non-concordist view doesn't say that there's no history in Genesis one. That's not the point. But the, concord, the non-concordist view is making the point that that's not the that's not the essential point. The heart and the essence of Genesis one is not history or narrative, but demonstration of God's incredible creative power. Again, it's a very very different uh, approach. Uh, or two different views on how we ought to approach Genesis chapter one. Let me give you two different ways to tell the story of the life of Steve Jobs. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you the life of Steve Jobs. Um, not with the focus of telling you all he did. I'm gonna give you a story. My my entire point of the story I'm about to tell you is to explain to you that Steve Jobs is awesome and that he is very innovative and that he is the creator of this great company and all these great products, and he deserves to be praised and recognized for that great work. Okay, so here is here is the, the perspective. Uh, here's a story I'm going to tell you about Steve Jobs. On day one, Steve Jobs was a visionary, and he was willing to do whatever it took to, to demonstrate great vision. And he challenged the status quo and he founded a company called Apple. On day two, Steve Jobs was creative and innovative and he was focused on ex- user experiences and he was focused on developing great products like the Apple IIe and the MacBook and the MacBook Pro and the iMac and the iPod and, and the iPad and the iPhone. He was very innovative. And on day three, he interrupted multiple industries. He interrupted the the personal computing industry and revolutionized how things function in that industry. and And he he completely uh, completely innovated and challenged the status quo of the music industry and how digital music is transferred and purchased. And he completely interrupted the telecommunications industry and how they function. He was a master innovator, and he was not afraid to proactively challenge the status quo, and he interrupted multiple industries. On day four, this man named Steve Jobs founded a great company that eventually competed with Bill Gates at Microsoft. He developed a new operating system. He foresaw the need for revamped operating systems that did many great things beyond what some of the operating systems of the 1970s were doing. On day five, this man named Steve Jobs focused on user experience. He knew that the experience needed to be easy and seamless for the user. He developed on lots of great features for operating systems like plug-and-play features and really cool, appealing aesthetics. He streamlined the laptop development process, and he eventually led to the development of the MacBook Pro, one of the most innovative and most awesome laptop products on the market today. Later, he foresaw the need for a digital music player that would compete against the music industry giants like Sony and others that had already developed music players, and eventually he and the company that he founded invented the iPod. And they had really cool commercials with guys like Bono in their commercials. On day six, Steve Jobs saw the need for a revolution in the entire music industry. And he challenged big companies like Universal and others to change the way they secured their music, sold their music, and even produced their music. He challenged the entire system and he took on the big dogs. He wasn't afraid. He partnered with some of those big dogs as well to develop iTunes. And he developed the iPhone, partnering with AT&T, one of the telecommunication giants, to develop a product that would revolutionize the smartphone industry. Steve Jobs was a guy who was very innovative, very creative, and many people respect him today. Okay, the story I just told you about the life of Steve Jobs as weird as that is, to go through for four or five minutes on a theology podcast. That story I just told you had elements of history, correct? It had elements of what happened. But the the sequence of events was not perfect, right? I'm, I'm talking about the Apple IIe and the MacBook Pro in the same sentence. And then later, I'm talking about the operating system, even though that's out of order, right? So if I were to ask you, what's the point of the story I just told you about this life of Steve Jobs? Would you say to me, well, oh, the point was for you to know exactly what he did at Apple? No, that's not the point. The point was, he is very creative. He was an innovator. He was a visionary. He challenged the status quo. He was creative. We're so thankful for the innovations that a guy like Steve Jobs was able to pioneer and lead at a company like Apple because those products are so helpful to so many industries and so many businesses and, and individuals on planet Earth today. <laughs> the point of the story is not for you to understand exactly all went, all that went down. There's there's huge components of the story of Apple that are missing from what I just told you. It's out of order. There's, there are details that don't make sense. It's it's a little bit ambiguous. I'm, I'm using figures of speech that make sense to you in this contemporary setting that might not make sense to people listening to this 100 or 200 years from now. Right? That, that's, the, that's the idea. But I'm telling you a story with bits and components because I want you to understand something about Steve Jobs. The point is not to tell you what Steve Jobs did. The point is to is to get you to understand the greatness of Steve Jobs and that deserves to be praised and recognized for those by those of us who enjoy the benefits of his innovations. That is what the non-concordist view is saying Genesis 1 is about. Genesis 1, according to the non-concordus, is not a sequence of events. It's not a history of exactly what happened. Instead, it's just telling you all about God and all that he did and how awesome he is. And there's bits of history and bits of truth, of truthful things he did, but overall there's one overarching truth, and that is that God created everything that he is supreme. And by the way, I recognize that in my story, I'm that I'm I'm making Steve Jobs the metaphor for God, I for, please forgive me if you feel that's blasphemous in any way. I don't mean it to be. S- clearly, Steve Jobs is not even in the same category as God. I know that. Uh, if you're really frustrated by that, feel free to shoot me an email and complain. Heyortiz at theology for the rest of us.com. All right. That is the non concordist opinion on Genesis chapter one. Now, all right, you may hear my wrestling in my notebook because I'm going to Come here to my notebook and Okay. I'm now going to read to you a different sequence of events or a different story about the life of Steve Jobs. Ready? Here we go. In the 1970s, Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak and Ronald, Ronald Wayne started a company called Apple. Not too long after that, they started promoting a product called the Apple Computer that Steve Wozniak had developed several years earlier. In 1977, they officially incorporated Apple. Not too long after that, they developed another computer called the Apple II, and Steve Jobs became the face of this company. Within a few years, Apple became one of the most popular computing companies in the world. Sales grew very quickly, and Steve Jobs proved to be a very great innovator, visionary, and leader in a lot of ways. In 1980, the company went public and continued to grow at a massive rate. Throughout this entire time, Steve Jobs was always focused on user experience and aesthetics in a way that no other computing company seemed to care about. He wanted the experience to be fun, easy, simple, intuitive, and cool. Again, something that Microsoft and the other computing companies were not focused on. He also saw the need to revamp the way operating systems functioned. He needed it to be easier, and he wanted to invent and and implement things like plug-and-play features that make it easier to connect to external devices. It was in the 1980s where he decided he was going to begin to really take on Bill Gates at Microsoft, and he really challenged the status quo he really began to win some of the market share and he definitely made some of the executives and leaders over at Microsoft very nervous. Later in the 1980s, they developed a product called the Apple IIe, which would go on to become one of the most popular computers in all of uh, recent history. I, by the way, was a big fan of the Apple IIe. I used it quite a bit in my childhood. In 1983, a man by the name of John Scully became the CEO and he, and he worked with Steve Jobs to put put out a variety of products, although Steve Jobs still was the face of the company in a lot of ways and still one of the primary innovators in a variety of divisions of the company. In 1985, there was a power struggle between a variety of the executives at the company, and eventually Steve Jobs was fired. The company went on to develop many products. Some were very successful, but many of them failed. The company stopped growing as fast as it did and eventually plateaued. And in the 1990s, it actually began to decline. By the mid-1990s, Apple was in serious trouble. In 1997, Steve Jobs eventually came back to the company, first as an advisor, but then later became CEO. He developed many partnerships with other companies, including a partnership with Microsoft to develop Microsoft Office. He eventually decided that he needed to revamp and re-innovate the operating system all over again, just as he had done nearly 20 years earlier. These partnerships and new innovations led to massive success and a rebirth of the company. They invented the iMac, which was a revolutionary way to approach desktop computing. And eventually, the company began to see record profits. In the early 19 excuse me in the early 2000s, Steve Jobs foresaw the need for a revolution in the digital music industry. So he went on to partner with several big giants in the music industry to develop iTunes, a place where digital music could be sold and transferred. They invented the iPod That would obviously be able to play music. They also developed new MacBook Pros and a variety of expanded products, including the iPad. This was a long long string of great innovative products. A few years later, they again saw the need to revamp how smartphones would function in our society. This was great forward thinking by Steve Jobs and the other executives over at Apple. In the the mid-2000s, Steve Jobs partnered with telecommunications giant AT&T, and they developed the iPhone. Apple completely innovated the entire telecommunications industry with the development of the iPhone. And anyone who uses iPhone knows how great of a product it really has been. The company did a, a variety of other things, a variety of expansions that have been very, very helpful to the company's bottom line over the years. In August of 2011, Steve Jobs resigned from his position at Apple, mostly because of poor health. And just a few months later, he passed away. Tim Cook succeeded him as a CEO of Apple. Now, you see that version of events I just told? It's very, very different than the first one. The second one was designed to give you the history of Steve Jobs and the company. There's different facts involved. I didn't necessarily tell the facts of the story perfectly in order, and I didn't include all the facts, but I included certain facts that were more important in that version that I didn't include in the other version, like the CEO, John Scully. That wasn't important to the first version, but it was important to the second version. That's why it would have been included in the second version. That is, the, that is a narrative of the sequence of events and the history of the founding of Apple particularly with Steve Jobs as the primary part of that story. That is basically what the concordist view of Genesis 1 is saying. The concordist says Genesis 1 is written as a narrative, it's a history, it's a sequence of events of what went down and when it went down. And there's more journalistic elements to it along the way. That is in sharp contrast to the non-concordist view. Those are the two approaches. To, the, to Genesis chapter 1. Some people say it's a sequence of events of what God did and the order in which he did it. Other people would say it's not a sequence of events at all. It's not designed to be read that way. It's not a narrative of history. Instead, it is a narrative of the character and nature of God, of his creative power, and, and the fact that he is supreme over all of creation because he made everything. Nothing is equal to God because he made it. Everything is subservient to him. The non-concordist says, don't read Genesis 1 as a history. Read it as a revelation of the character and nature of God. Read it as it's giving you insights into the creative power and sovereignty of our God. The concordist says, you should absolutely be reading Genesis 1 as a history, as a narrative of the order in which things were done. Now, amongst the Concordus view, there are different types of Concordus. There are young earth people. There are old earth people. And there are all different variations of each. There's a variety of variations of old earth concordus. There's the gap theory peoples. There's the historical creationist peoples. There's the day age peoples. There are people who think it's completely, uh, that, it's, that it is completely allegorical in, in every sense of the way. There are people who would take a theistic evolution perspective and mesh it with the concordus perspective. Like there are all different types of people. There are, of course, the, a very popular wing of or popular segment of the of the concordus view are the young earth people. That's people who say that the earth is young. It's only six to ten thousand years old, maybe fifteen thousand years old at the oldest, and that we should not take the or that we should ab- take an absolute strict plain language reading of Genesis chapter one. That's the concordist view. The non-concordist says, "Don't don't try to read into it. Don't try to take scientific facts of today and try to make it fit in with Genesis one, because that's not the point of Genesis one." The non-concordist says, for the most part, we don't know how old the earth is. At least we at least we don't get our views from the Bible. Maybe we can go to science to figure that out, but we don't come to We don't go to the Bible trying to figure out the age of the earth. We come to the Bible to learn about the characteristics and insights into the the nature of God. That's the point. Again, one is the sequence of events. The other is insights into the character and nature of God. The non-concordist view and the concordist view. I'm not telling you which one to take. I'm just encouraging you to study and learn about the two different views, the two different significant perspectives on approaching Genesis chapter one, hope my uh, my weird uh, analogy and anthology of the life of Steve Jobs and the uh, and the the history and elements of the company called Apple. I hope that made sense. I hope that was helpful to you in understanding the two primary perspectives, the two different approaches in approaching Genesis chapter one, the concordist view and the non-concordist view. Thanks again for listening. If there's anything I said in this episode that you want me to clarify, please feel free to shoot me an email. Or if you have a question or a topic that you want me to address on a future episode of the podcast, I'd love to hear from you. Shoot me an email as well. The best address is Ortiz at theologyfortherestofus.com. That's H-E-Y-O-R-T-I-Z at theologyfortherestofus.com. Thanks again for listening. I'm Kenny Ortiz, and this has been Theology for the Rest of Us.